Chuck Palahniuk is the author of books like Snuff, Rant, Choke, and of course the one you've heard of, if you haven't heard of anything else he's done, is Fight Club. Now Fight Club was his first published work, but what you may not know is that his book Invisible Monsters was actually the first book he wrote. It just got turned down by all the publishers and they didn't want it until after the success of Fight Club. So when I reached out to Byron Lane, this week's guest, Invisible Monsters is the book that he wanted to talk about. Now, I had never read a Chuck Palahniuk book before, mainly because I was a little nervous. I'd heard lots and lots of things about his books, and every time I went to read one, I would get a little nervous and back off and go read something else. But I was so excited that Byron had me read Invisible Monsters. I loved the book, and I really enjoyed talking to Byron about the book. Now, Byron Lane is a very successful writer in his own right. His most recent book, Big Gay Wedding, is all about a family in a small town that is forever changed by a gay marriage that happens in that town. A Star is Bored is his book written based on his time working as an assistant for the actor Carrie Fisher. He's done a lot of other stuff. He's written web series. He starred in plays he's written. He's done a lot of screenplays. It's really amazing the work he's done. You should go find out more about him at byronlane.com. Of course, you can find a link in the show notes for this as well. But Byron and I had a great time talking about Invisible Monsters, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. So let's jump in and get started. This is the Book Hunter Podcast. As a lifelong avid reader, I'm always on the hunt for the next great novel. I want to read books that stick with me, move me, and change me. So each episode, I have a guest recommend one of their favorite novels to me. I read it, and then we talk about it. If you're on the hunt for your next great read, you've come to the right place. My name is Tim Grawl, and welcome to the show. All right, Byron. So... You had me read this book, Invisible Monsters, and I will tell you, I was nervous. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Well, so obviously, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm male, so I've seen Fight Club about 10 times uh, and I love that movie. But I remember maybe 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I tried to read Fight Club and I it was like a combination of I couldn't really follow it and it kind of overwhelmed me. So I put it down. And although I respect Chuck a lot, well, I'm sure we'll get into that. I've never actually read one of his books because I've been so nervous. Mm -hmm. I'm like, cause like most of his books have been banned and like all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, what am I getting myself into? So when you said, I'm like, well, all right, I'm finally going to have to read one of his books. And, um, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I thought it was neat that this was actually, cause I was reading about the book itself that this was the first book he wrote. It just didn't get published till later because this, this one got rejected and Fight Club got picked up and then they wanted everything he'd written. Um, so I really enjoyed it. We'll get into it, but I just want to hear from you first. You, I asked you what was you know one of the most meaningful novels you've written or you've read. And so why, did, why is this the one that you picked? Well, Chuck Palahniuk as a writer in general, I love... I love all the books that he's written, especially the, the earliest stuff. Um, so Invisible Monsters, Choke, Fight Club, they're all so propulsive and they have so many um, 
bits of uh it's almost like dark seinfeld like this view of the world um yeah that uh you know you know like larry david will pick up on little things uh chuck polinick seems to pick up on uh big things that are meaningful so even in like invisible monsters there's like this line that really stood out to me when i i reread it yesterday um that we're all mutilated in some way like we're all headed towards mutilation just in depth and it's such a it's a dark observation but in some ways it can also be very freeing and i find that this book is full of that and it's full of themes of identity how we fit into the world um we're we live in an, in a universe where uh every commercial is either trying to sell you beauty products or they're selling something else with beauty and models and all this and so this is really a book that I think addresses all that stuff and has uh, a finger on cultural pulse. And, uh, and also, just frankly, I like his writing style. I like the way he just uh, goes a mile a minute, uh, breaks it up with, uh, like, there's the, um, the tool in this book of the camera flashes and, uh, and jumping around as if you were reading, like, a, a magazine, you know? Yeah, I, lo- I did see... I did notice some things in this one that showed up in the movie Fight Club, which I'm assuming is in the book, too, where, you know, in in this book, it was flashed something, flashed something. And then that one was um, uh, I am Jack's whatever, you know, Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I see that. Uh, There was a couple things like that I saw. And I really liked the repetition of um, I wrote a couple because I I, as I read, I underline and then I go back and I write down everything I I underline. And there was the. how your parents are sort of like God. And then it was something different after each one. And I was like, oh, man. And so many of those just like hit me right between the eyes. But I did think I did love the way he approached. I feel like he sees the same things we all see, but from just a different angle. And so there was all these moments where I was just like, you know, yeah, it's kind of like Seinfeld. It was like, oh, that's so true. But it's not funny when he talks about it. <laughs> That's, you know? right. That's right. That's right. Uh, and all of his all of his books are like that. So Fight Club is also it's full of these um, like uh, observations about about life that he is able to uh, bring to the forefront in a way that like, I'm underlining things. It just it his writing makes me think, and um, and it's it's kind of extreme too, and. Another thing I like about his his vibe as a writer and an author and a person is just like this was his first book that they didn't want to publish um, until Fight Club the movie was a success because Fight Club the book mm-hmm. is basically the movie, but that was a struggle to get done too. So it is this weird thing. Yeah. And when we're talking about invisible monsters and, and themes of identity and who are we and all that stuff, he's the guy who's always been like, hey, let's get gritty and uh and still it took like a movie to really kind of launch it did you see his interview he's done two on the joe rogan experience have you seen those no 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 at all Mm -mm. so the first one was really interesting so it was really interesting because that's i've watched that probably three or four times just because he talks so much about his writing style and what goes into it and everything and it and one of the things that i picked up from that is how 
what you know i'm going off memory so i'm sure i'm going to butcher what he actually said he does but the way i remember it is he just keeps writing down bits and pieces so he'll like figure out this character and start writing some stuff down about them and he's just taking notes on all of it and he said and at the end i just write it all down and he's like that's actually the boring part he goes i like just figuring out what the story is going to be and he's like i got all these random notes and and I loved how this one just hopped back and forth between timelines, right? So there's probably five different things, like moments that happen, but you're getting just bits and pieces of it. And when he, and what was cool is the narrator um, said in the beginning, this is how I'm going to tell the stories. I'm just going to jump around. I was like, oh, man, I hate when books do that. And this one kept me on the edge of my seat. Like every time it jumped around, I was like, oh my God, what are we going to learn now? I did wonder as I was reading it, and it does mirror Fight Club in that there are twists uh, that you don't necessarily see coming, but that are very clearly written. Um, you know, oh, we're, we're more related than we think, you know, thing, words like that, uh, phrases like that. And I'm going to have to go watch the, um, that interview he did. I, I love... Um, I'm going to call him Chuck. I don't know if I, we're not friends. I don't know. Yeah. Him, call him. Uh, he has a book out called Consider This, which is about writing and about his style of writing yeah, yeah. and the way he breaks things up. And it's really great and it's been really helpful to me. And um, so, yeah, I'll go check out that interview. Yeah, even like, because uh, I don't worry too much about spoilers on here. So uh, I really like to how he set up and I it was one of those where it was one of those setups that I I get mad at myself later. I should have caught when he was talking about how um, how Brandy's hands are the one thing. The hands are the one thing you can't fix with plastic surgery. And so when it's revealed later that um, that it's a man uh, transitioning, it was like, oh, my God, that like Chuck told us that in like the third paragraph of the book or like way early. And it and I just totally missed it. And he did. He set up so many things like and I just was floored by how um, how he kept it all straight, you know, because it read it read very clearly. I never felt lost, even with all the of the jumping around. And so um, so when you're thinking about so, yeah, so when you're thinking about this particular one, like what were the themes like the common threads in this book that you also think are go through his other books? Well, identity is a big one. And, uh, and you know, this one, it's interesting because I first read it years ago. And um, every time I revisit it, something else like pops out. Um, this time around, another thing that popped out is uh, essentially uh, the question, is it true? Like what, what is truth about our lives? And one of the characters in here, Brandy talks a lot about uh, most of your life is just a story that you're telling yourself about. Um, so for me, I was born in Louisiana. I had a difficult childhood. I, I'm too skinny. Um, you know, growing up I had acne, I'm ugly, uh, you know, all that stuff. And so those were, those yeah. were powerful stories that I, um, created about myself and and they translate to um so for example the thought um when i was younger it was like i'm ugly uh it wasn't just i'm ugly it was also i'm ugly and that means that i don't have value in the world uh so here's mm -hmm. a book that says um beauty is power like money is power like a gun is power and the first time i read that that really 
stood out to me. Like I did feel a sense of powerlessness because I didn't feel like I looked like um, the hot guys I would see or, or even lust after on uh, in magazines or like I used to want to be Leonardo DiCaprio and I'd be like, I could never be yeah. so, you know, that kind of thing. So those were all like traumatic yeah. growing up things. And uh, so this, this book in particular on identity and the stories we tell ourselves um, lays it out very explicitly. Like we don't have to be the stories that we tell ourselves. So I can look back at that story I told myself that I'm ugly and therefore don't have value and realize like, oh, that's actually not true. And you can take it a level farther of like, well, is beauty even real? Like, what does that even mean? Uh, so yeah. that's what I love about his writing is this, uh, this tearing apart of social structures and things like that, that, uh, that leave us with what, what is true. Yeah. The part that probably hit me the most, um, was when the whole thing about her brother getting kicked out of the house and then the part where she talks about him coming to her window and she just closes the blinds and like you, that all the guilt that kind of roils in her as she's like dealing with that. And, you know, I can think of things from my childhood and teenage years that like when I still think about whenever they come to mind, I feel like, you know, somebody punches me in the gut, you know, and I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't. And, you know, you know, I can step back from it now and be like, Hey, you were 13, you were doing the best you could, you know, it's like, and, um, and how like, how the character carries that and then even how when you get to the end of the book and because I was reviewing my notes you know for the for this today and I was like this book was just about somebody trying to figure out how to love somebody through all of the guilt and the stuff they've done when I'm like you know she'd always loved her brother like I really did think it was her that put the <laughs> that put the hairspray can in the Ooh, fire, you know, uh -huh. that, that maimed him, yep. you know, yep. I was like, Oh yeah, that was definitely her. She's like protesting too much. And then when you find out it's not, it's like, she was also in a fucked up home trying to find her way in the world. And like, it wasn't her fault what happened, but she was carrying that through the whole thing and how it colored her life. And so, um, again, this is one of the things I think he does in a way is, uh, it's almost like, you know, like when you're editing a picture and you just turn up the contrast, everything's just so bright. It's like, that's what I feel like he does is it's like he took this really all, you know, my moment wasn't as awful as the ones that he's laying out, but I felt the same, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so those kind of things that, that is what stood out to me is this idea that like, she was just trying to figure out if she could ever actually love somebody. And I'm like, you have all along, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's really beautiful. And I relate. Uh, so the idea of like, where in my life have I just shut the blinds because I just don't want to see it? Um, yeah. Where in my life have I been burned by the hairspray can and had to live yeah. with those scars, you know, carry them around? Um, yeah, it really is an interesting uh, mirror in a way. Yeah. So um, there were, so I have highlighted to me um, the saddest line and the best line in the book. So which do you want first? Ooh, they're, they're different. <laughs> they're different. They yeah. are different. There's right. two different ones. All right, let's do the saddest. Okay. So I just, I have, it was on 264, the edition I have, and I just put in my note, gut punch. 
So she uh, says, Ellis writes. So this is where they were writing on postcards and like just sending them out into the world. He said, your birth is a mistake you'll spend your whole life trying to correct. And like even just saying that just like starts to like get to me. And it was funny because my wife is sitting next to me and I just go, oh. And she goes, what? I go, I don't know if you want to hear it. And I told it to her. She's like, that's not that bad. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, well, for me, apparently I believe something in that because I felt like I just got punched in the stomach, uh-huh. you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, those are those lines, like, uh, that just stand out to me that, again, I feel like, like, those are those moments where I'm like, I'm really glad Byron had me read this book because I would have missed out on this, you know? It really, it really, I, this Dark Seinfeld thing just came to me while we were talking, but it, it just, yeah. now it keeps, now it, I can't get it out of my head. But it does make <laughs> yeah. me think like, well, in this situation, I'd be like, oh my gosh, well, I'd be very curious about your wife's uh, upbringing. Like, did she have a happy childhood or does she have like coping mechanisms that I wish I had? Um but that that line like uh that your your birth is something you'll spend your whole life trying to correct like that resonates with me too like uh everything it it, i mean it seems to me like much of our lives is uh learned inherited how we how we see the world so like my father was very conservative um he was a, a construction guy um we didn't have a lot of resources so you know there weren't family vacations and because uh, he didn't know how, when the next paycheck was going to come or he lived with yeah. the anxiety of uh, if he smashes his hand with a hammer how is he going to work uh, and so as a kid I remember being like well why can't we have vacations or like Jabot jeans do you remember that brand Jabot not everyone Jabot. remembers it it might have just been like a southern thing but there was this yeah. brand of jeans that everyone wanted Jabos, and I couldn't afford Jabos, so we would just get our jeans from Walmart. And I was uh, yeah. kind of sad about that. But now, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh, of course. And not only that, but like I see uh, that in my own life. Like, do I really want to go on this vacation? Like, what if I don't sell another book? You know? Um, yeah. But that kind of anxiety and all that stuff. Those. So when he writes that line about birth, I think to myself, like, oh, yeah. I, when I, I was born into that, I was born into a certain degree of anxiety and, uh, and my, mm. my identity as like, uh, this guy and this family and this town and this house. And, uh, and then I am spending my whole life, you know, looking back and in therapy and whatever, uh, trudging yeah. through, where did I learn these kinds of things? Yeah. Well, my wife's a therapist, so oh, uh, yes. she hears a lot of th- she hears a lot of things uh, from you, from yeah. the clients. And yeah. You. Well, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sh- um, but yeah, because I grew up it was, it was interesting. I grew up in the south. I grew up just south of Atlanta and Georgia. Uh, but my parents were from the north. So we moved down there when I was like six. But we were very conservative Christian as well. And I was up until uh, my mid 30s. Wow. And so uh, it's been, you know, that's a whole that's a whole different podcast. But um, but, yeah, I think you it's it's easy to get to that conclusion. Like you would never. And I think this is why we like reading stuff like this, because I would never say to somebody, oh, my birth is a mistake. I and I'm just trying to make up for it, you know, but then you read it and you're like, yeah, okay, I get that. (laughs) And it's like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, 
Okay, so my best line. Okay. Um, and I have I I I like was giggling over this line when I read it, and then again when I was like taking notes and then going over the notes this morning. So, uh, this was towards the end, page two seventy three in my edition. No, really, everybody here is just itching to be cremated. Mm. Like the word cremated, just because it's like they're itching to die or they're itching to like run off a cliff or something like that. But the fact that they're itching to be cremated just uh just killed me and then the second best line i have i just love this was uh my heels are nosebleed high like th that just struck me really good but uh the idea that everybody at that party was just itching to be cremated <laughs> just kills me <laughs> yeah well in like uh philosophy terms or whatever you know the death wish uh you know i i get it or even um even it makes me think even of like addiction and this uh, hunger some of us have for uh, ending the pain uh, with drugs or alcohol or whatever. And um, so I, you know, I just, the, his turns of phrase are, uh, he's, he's a favorite. He's a favorite. Yeah. So I did want to bring up this part because this is the part where I think his, you know, there's a theme of nihilism in Fight Club and it, it pokes his head up here too. So uh, I'm just going to read this to you and maybe we can talk about it. So. Brandy, uh, Brandy says, don't you see, because we're so trained to do life the right way, to not make mistakes. She says, I figure the bigger the mistake looks, the better chance I'll have to break out and live a real life. Like Christopher Columbus sailing toward disaster at the edge of the world. Like Fleming and his bread mold. Our real discoveries come from chaos, Brandy yells, from going to the place that looks wrong and stupid and foolish. So how does that strike you? Like what comes to mind when you think of that? Well, years ago when I first read that, I was a little i i kind of i kind of disagreed because I didn't want to think of myself as uh, having to do some extreme thing that I didn't want to do in order to find meaning. But now yeah. that I'm about to be 45, and I look back, uh, I think that some of that is true. Like traumatic events have shaped me. Um, so like my parents' divorce was pretty traumatic. Uh, job changes, career changes, breakups, all those things. I look back as, um, you know, um, what was the phrase he used? Cha chaotic moments, chaos, that chaos that shapes yeah. us. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I do totally, um, so some of that I, I relate to and some of it I'm like, I can't say that I would go up to a young person or even to my younger self and be like, fuck things up, you know, make yeah, some mistakes, yeah, yeah. you know, um, get a, get crazy surgeries that you don't want you know like i can't say that i yeah, would yeah, uh, yeah. encourage that but but i would maybe say to my younger self like um not every mistake is going to be um terrible and in some cases a tree is going to get cut down and something even better is going to grow yeah it's uh like a kind of a i don't know like a small version of this i always think about whenever we're going on we're about to go on vacation so we my went on my family vacation a couple of weeks ago and I thought you know the times that we all remember and the times we always talk about when we're together are the vacations that got fucked up in some way <laughs> yes. right that like yeah. like we were talking about like the time we went to Florida in July and the air conditioning went out in the house and so we were all we would just get in the car and drive just to be in air conditioning you yeah. know yeah. and uh and all the different times and I'm like so you go into this I'm thinking I'm going into this vacation 
hoping I planned it well, hoping everything goes well, also knowing if it does, we'll probably forget all about it, you know. And that's a small version of this, but we talk, my uh, business partner at uh, StoryGrid, we talk all the time about order and chaos and stories and how, like, too much of one or the other is evil, right? Like, it's like if you're looking at an antagonist in a story, it's always they're either too ordered or too chaotic, and the goal is to have both, to have complexity. And people tend to lean one way or the other. Because when I read that, the first part, I'm like, yeah, I don't really agree with that. Like, just try to find the biggest mistake you can possibly think of and go big. And then at the end, it's like our real discoveries come from chaos. And it's like, well, yeah, like we would never change if everything was going correctly. Like we have to have something come into our life and knock us off balance for us to realize where we've got to change. And so um, – so it's hard, like, as I was like, I, I kept coming back to that over and over. And I'm like, I agree with her. And also, I don't agree with her. <laughs> I don't. Like you said, I wouldn't give that advice to anybody. Right. Find the biggest mistake you could possibly do and go after that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is a brilliant kind of uh, mind twist. And then and actually, like, if I could, if I sometimes I think like, oh, what if I got to interview him? Pull all his mm -hmm. books and be like, hey, tell me about this line. You know what I mean? And I wonder if this one, if this would be one of those cases where um, he talks about in, in Consider This, in his writing, he tries to, uh, he says if you tell a truth, uh, like a universal truth, you can get away with a bunch of like crazy shit around it. And I wonder if that's one of those things where make the biggest uh, mistake you can make is one of the things he can get away with because later on, Brandy says something that is kind of true. Uh, and that you can find yeah. some some healing in chaos. Yeah. Um, so when I asked you about your most meaningful book, did any other contenders come to mind? Like, mm. did you have to kind of like weigh which ones? Like, okay, I want to do this one or this one. Were there any other books that came to mind? Yeah. Um, I mean, my adventure into reading novels, uh, I'm sort of late to it, to the party. Um, okay. And uh, so growing up, uh, I wasn't a big reader. Uh, I was into like movies and television. And, and then my, uh, I started my career as a journalist. So I was a TV news writer and reporter and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And so, and I was obsessed with it. So I was obsessed with television news, which is three sentences. Like a story in television news is three <laughs> sentences. So like that's where yeah, I got yeah, my yeah. start, you know, telling like, uh -huh. like boiling it all down. And um, yeah. so I remember growing up loving, um, uh, you know, the books that they, that they, that they made you read um, just in high school. But then having kind of a renaissance uh, once I was living in Los Angeles and I worked this, uh, this job at uh, KCBS and KCAL 9 in L.A., where I worked the overnight mm -hmm. shift. And uh, okay. eventually I was able to scale down to just working three nights a week. And I moved into a studio apartment to save money because I just couldn't do the five nights a week overnight. So suddenly I had time. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mary McDonough, who's actually an actress, she was in um, uh, The Waltons. Uh, she and I met okay. at an, I was doing some acting, and she and I met at an audition. And she was reading a, uh, is it Tim Follett? Uh, she was reading one of his, oh, Pillars of Wisdom, I think. Okay. And, uh, okay. and she started talking to me about it. And then she bought me a copy. And then I read that and I was like, oh my God. 
And then, then I suddenly started reading everything she promoted. So I think there was one about boxing called The One. Uh, the Poisonwood Bible is another one. And I remember having these magical moments reading, especially the Poisonwood Bible, where we had a rare rainy day in LA and in the book there was rain and it all just, it, it just kind of the magic of reading um, happened yeah. to me. Then I started working for Carrie Fisher and then I had to, had to kind of read her books, uh, which were yeah. all so brilliant. And I remember loving Surrender the Pink so much and being able to talk to her about writing. And then she was good friends with um, uh, uh, Salman Rushdie and uh, she would, uh, she didn't, she loved to read, but like uh, one of his books that came out uh, while I was working with her was like 700 pages. So my job was to yeah. go like, and he sent an advanced copy. So I had to go print it out. Uh, and like it was watching yeah, her yeah, slog yeah. through that. So I don't know. I've had this really interesting, <laughs> but anyway, all these books that I've mentioned have been, um, uh, Poisonwood Bible was very meaningful, and I thought about that. Pillars of Wisdom, I thought about is that one, but there really wasn't um, one that jumped out that I could say um, had the levels of like like for Chuck, uh, his writing is like um, I aspire to that. Like I aspire to be able yeah. to pluck meaningful things uh, in the world and pass along some some little shreds of wisdom. And so in my first novel, Star is Bored, I did mimic some of his technique. And uh, so since the character in that book is a journalist, I was able to be like, the headline will say, the headline will say, the headline will say. And uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a, there's a therapist character in that book, and she would spout out every now and then these little bits of wisdom. And so uh, after the book was published, I kind of like treated myself, uh, treated my ego to um, buying the... Uh, the ebook version where you could see what passages people were highlighting and they were highlighting yeah. the therapist stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, uh, cause the therapist stuff was all stuff that I kind of learned in therapy, um, learned through self-help books and that kind of thing. So this is a, such a long answer to, to your question. No, no, I love it. Yeah. Well, uh, no, well, one is I'm like thinking, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you. I never crossed my mind. You could do that was check what people have highlighted in your own book by buying the ebook. Yeah. 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 So now that's going to be my, the rest of my afternoon. <laughs> no, that's uh, <laughs> <right. That's laughs> but, great. um, no, it's, yeah, it's funny. Those are, those are those things. Um, cause so I've been, uh, I've been working with this guy named Sean Coyne, uh, who's been an editor for 30 plus years. He wrote this book called the story grid and, uh, we've been working together now for eight years and a big part of what we're doing is like training me up as a writer and i just finished uh a draft of um i think the book i've been trying to write since the beginning you know wow. and Congrats. Uh, it was those thank you yeah um and so that those are those things like it was those moments like this like when we when i was going into the writing i'm like um if i can just get the scenes where the husband and wife are fighting right like mm. true right because this is what's so interesting you know when you read when you read like on writing by stephen king you know and he's just like you just have to tell the truth and i'm like but it's fiction i don't understand what you mean you know and then like as i've gotten more and more into it um and understanding what i'm trying to do i'm like oh it is it's actually like truer than true right like it's not true the way two plus two equals four is true. It's true the way 
I don't know, love is true or things that you can't really put into words. And so I wrote the, I wrote the, I got to that point in the book and wrote the first scene of the, the fight between the husband and wife. And I just sent it to like four married friends. And I was like, just uh, read this and let me know what you think. Every single one of them wrote back. was like, I have so much anxiety after reading that scene. <laughs> like you're wow. freaking me out. And I was like, okay, I've got it. You know, that's so, but awesome. it is, that's the- like the best compliment by the way. Oh yeah. It's like, that's all I want is them to be like stressed out. And, uh, but, <laughs> but that's what, when I was written, I was reading, uh, Chuck's writing. It was like, it felt like that where I'm just like, I was grabbed by the throat and I'm just like pulled through. And the fact that he can do that with such an odd timeline mm-hmm. and the nonlinear fashion of the, the thing. And then like jumping around and the characters have different names throughout the thing. And I'm like, wait, 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 who are we talking about here? And I actually, um, the you know I read Gaudy Night for uh, the first episode of the podcast, and it was it was a similar problem in that the characters had different like they would go by either their title at the university or their actual name, and I could not keep track of what the hell was going on. Where this one, I never lost track of what was going on, and so it's like you know I think um, it's that thing of like when you're really good at something, it seems effortless, you know, and it's like the fact that he's able, he's able to pull that off with his first book. I'm just kind of like, well, you know, I guess I'll keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel the same way about his, his writing, how, how, and that's another thing I would ask him if we, uh, if I ever got to, to talk to him is, um, so like even the character Evie who keeps asking Shannon, you're sure your brother's dead? Like, you're sure your brother's dead? And, uh, you know, the first reading of that, I'm just always like, uh, oh, okay, well. Um, you know, she's she's curious. She's an instigator, blah, blah, blah. But then you get to the end and you realize, oh, he was, um, he was, he, it was, a, it was a, a device. He, he was pulling us along. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that till you just said it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, the fact that, like, everybody in the book isn't quite who they said they were. And I I will say, again, knowing what happened in Fight Club, where it was Tyler Durden that had blown up the apartment, I'm like, all right, which one of you did this to her? You know what I mean? And um, because I'm like, it wasn't random, you know? And and then, like, even just the way he ended it, um, so... Uh, for those of you listening that don't know, it's uh, the whole thing is that her jaw was shot off, so she can't talk, right? So the whole thing is she's she uh, has to write notes to actually communicate. So at the end, you know, when she's writing everything in blood, um, and even just like the opening, the o- it's, it, this was the thing is like the opening scene, like I got to the end of that scene and I'm like, I was like, oh, shit, I am in for it. Like, it was such a great scene to open with. Um, And the line that I took away from that one was um, another thing is no matter how much you think you love somebody, you'll step back when the pool of their blood edges up too up too close. I was like, yeah, that's that's the first line I underlined. Yeah, it's so good. It's so rich. And again, it's like thing of like he tells you something that's true and that you agree with. And then because that's a wild scene. Uh, and then suddenly yeah, yeah, everything yeah. else sort of uh, around it is um, sort of accepted because you're already agreeing with something. And by the way, another yeah. thing I noticed this time around is that's a pretty short first chapter. 
And, uh, and yeah. so it's like sometimes I think it's a reminder to me to keep my, my writing tighter and maybe a little shorter. Um, but it's so effective and it's, uh, and it's, it's what I think it's under 10 pages. Yeah. Well, you know, I went back, um, about six months ago and read Carrie by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, I've read others of his, but I'd never read Carrie. And, um, it, it was another one where like I got to the end and I closed the book and I'm like, you know what? I should probably just stop writing. Like this was his first book. And that is a perfectly written book with not a single slice of fat on the whole book, mm. you know? Uh, and that's what I felt like with th that opening scene. Um, and again, I'm sure, you know, it didn't just like pop out of him on the first try, but like, uh, you know, that opening scene was just such a like killer scene. And it, it also just set up all of the stuff around, the thing that all three of the people in that scene cared most about is that it, the whole thing wasn't about them, you know, yeah. like that is what was, but the person shot on the ground, the person having done the shooting, the person witnessing the shooting, all they were thinking about is how can I make this about me? Not about these other two people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I struggled in this because um, there was just so much going on in all of these things. And you're trying to find like a, um, a redeeming value in the characters. And all of them seem like so fucked up. And then you get to a scene like when um, Man Manus, is that, is that how you say his name? I don't know. M-A-N-U-S. Yeah. Um, when you get to the part where he is like opening up his trunk and he's just like throwing all the shit into the woods that his parents had given him. And, um, I think that was what was so hard about the book for me to just wrap my head around was like how he took these characters. This is all of us, right? It's uh, actually this morning, my wife and I were talking about, um, our neighbor across the street. And we're pretty sure she struggles with some mental illness. And um, she's been working, I'm air quoting, working on her house for five years, getting it ready to sell. And at one point, she even sold part of the land. So she got all this money and she keeps dumping it into this house. Now, I live in Nashville. Here's what they do with old houses in Nashville. They tear them down and they build two new ones. So we know no matter what happens... If she ever sells it, that's what's going to happen to that house. And she is putting so much time and effort and money into this house. And at the same time, she's a horrible neighbor. God. She has this dog that has attacked my dogs, that has chased my children. He's this giant thing. He barks at everybody. It's everybody else's fault. And we're always annoyed by her. And at the same time, we know she's mentally ill. So it's like this constant like living with this tension. And of course, that's everybody, right? Like anybody you annoy, if you heard their story, well, I think I think my wife quotes somebody all the time, and she's like, you know, people make sense once you hear their story. Mm. And it's like, even in this context of this book, where like every single person in the book is a horrible person, and then when you kind of get their backstory, you're like, yeah, I get it. I'd probably be doing the same thing. Um, uh, it's sort of the thing, it reminds me of uh, the conversations about likability. And, mm. you know, in 
you know, so I'm, I write commercial fiction. So in that world, there's always talks about, is this character likable? Uh, when I've written mm -hmm. for television and film, it's the same, you get the same notes from producers about like, is this person likable, likable? And uh, I can't remember now actually if it's uh, Chuck Palahniuk or Stephen King's book where they kind of, kind of address that. And so it's sort of, so for me, um, I don't mind characters that are uh, kind of awful or um, fucked up. I think I think the answer is sort of um, is there uh, are they are they real? You know, are they fleshed out? And when we talk about like uh, the character who's throwing out the stuff that his parents gave him, or um, or the abusive nature of, of this family, or even when we hear about the main character's uh, parents, who like the dad who cheated at the farm uh you know and would yeah. uh, uh sell meat that had that was frozen so that it weighed more so that he could kind of rip people off like um there's a little there are layers of like oh god you know like uh all right i i get how that fucks someone up i mean we do live on a planet where you know we're in a society so there are we do have neighbors who are fucked up um yeah. and uh so so i don't know but i i don't i don't have as much of a um a revulsion to um, so-called unlikable uh, characters as some people, but um, but I am aware of that in my writing. I am aware of like trying to make sure that if someone is really strict or whatever, that I'm explaining why that's the case or uh, some something relatable. I think that's the word I was looking for. Is uh, as long as there's a relatability. So like uh, you know, for me when I when I read about that guy throwing away the parents stuff, like. I relate. I relate to rejecting uh, what my parents want me to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is the way, because um, this is, you know, this is the whole like showing versus telling, right? Is like he never said, he never gives an opinion about these people. Like he just lets you watch what they do and kind of forces you into this place where you're like both know what they're going to do and how awful it's going to be. And that, and at the same time having sympathy for them. But I think it's those things. The other night I was talking to my wife about, you know, something in my own life and, you know, something from my own childhood that makes me so angry. And I was like, you know what always comes to mind when I think about this? And, you know, she's like, what? I was like, you know, it's I think about the movie John Wick and I think about the specific moments where he covers people's mouth before he shoots them. And I'm like, that's what I feel like with all of these people from my past. Because in this particular thing, I was talking about, like, I feel like I was lied to my whole life, right? And it's like they told me all these lies, and they told me lies when I couldn't argue, right? Um, I was listening this morning to the um, the uh, Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, that podcast. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how, like, you know, kids just don't have – they don't get to make choices, right? Like they, that – whether – even if you're in a good home, you're still, like, not the one making the choices. And I think about that of, like – and that's kind of ever since – you know, I didn't realize that's what I thought. But when I said that out loud, I'm like, oh, it's so interesting that, like, something from this action movie is how I feel all the time. And I think that's uh, part of what this kind of writing does is it's like even back to what we're saying about uh, that line of like your birth is a mistake. You'll spend your whole life trying to correct. It's like, you know, 
when somebody writes it down, this is that part where I start understanding like what they mean when they say they're trying to tell the truth is they're trying to write down something that you can't quite even admit to yourself. God, it makes me so excited about art and so grateful yeah. that we have, uh, as humans, we live in this time where we can, um, it, I am thrilled, delighted, giddy that John Wick brought you some insight <laughs> to your life i'm not yeah, kidding yeah, yeah. that is amazing yeah. that is real and that is the point that is the point uh, i think that's yeah. why we're artists and uh I, I just i think that's so cool when i think there's this level because i've i've actually spent an enormous amount of time studying john wick and then and i went to see uh the movie sisu this new you know violet kind of it looked like they were trying to combine john wick and like a tarantino movie and, like, I got to the end, and I'm like, eh. Like, you know, all the parts were there, but it wasn't really about anything. You know what I mean? Where it's like um, you can take a story like John Wick, and you can say, okay, well, it's just a great action movie. Everybody loves it because, you know, like 80-something people get headshot in the first one. And I'm like, yeah, but at the same time, when he's, like, strapped to that chair, and he's like, uh, the line he says, uh he stole that from me. He killed that from me. And it's like, if you have not felt that in your life, that somebody stole something from you and killed something from you, then you're just not human. You haven't lived long enough, you know? And I agree. It's like, this is what, um, when I talk to people about, cause I've written four nonfiction books and then, you know, my plan is to just write fiction. And I'm like, and when I talk to people about why I'm like, because you can't say directly, what you have to kind of point at in fiction, you know, you can't like, and you can't make, um, you can't really change people's minds with an argument in a nonfiction book the way you can by telling them a story. I, it made me think of something I was going to mention about uh, Chuck's writing in that there is like a parable quality to these stories. So mm. uh, Fight Club, it was um, this guy who, like what piece of Ikea furniture defines me as a person who finds out that he is, you know, he's not who he really wants to be uh, and invisible monsters, uh, this parable about like, uh, I want to be a model, but look at me, don't look at me. Um, so it, it I, I feel like what you're saying is the same thing. It's like, uh, it's why moral tales are, it's why the Bible is full of uh, parable stories. It's not just, a, yeah. it's not just the 10 commandments. Uh, to really sell the things that they're pushing in the Bible, you have to have stories, and um, so so that's what that's what comes to mind when you when you're when you're talking about that. And I think I, I think you're onto something, and I relate. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, my wife and I both grew up conservative Christian, and then you know we've left it. But we'll get so, we'll get so angry because we'll be in the middle of talking about something. And we'll be like, you know, it's like we're like, damn it, it's like that story in the Bible, and we'll like talk about. It. <laughs> I totally know what you mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's like, oh, man, I don't want to quote the Bible, but here we go. It's like the only thing I could think of. You know, uh, I saw some some guy on TikTok. Oh, wait, it wasn't. Well, I found him through TikTok, but it was this guy who uh, years ago. Um, what was he talking about? Oh, it talked. he was trying to, to describe. I'm not an expert at this, but like we live in a three dimensional world, but we only see in two dimensions. And he was, cause our retinas are mm -hmm. flat. And he was talking about how uh, a fourth dimension would be 
w could coexist. And so then I got sucked in this wormhole of, uh, of stories. And another, another thing he talked about in, in religion is that if you have to, if, you, if part of your belief structure is to convince other people to believe, then you're, you're not part of a structure that is universal principles. So, um, so uh, like people don't knock door to door to be like two plus two is four. Like no one has to convince you of that. Uh, and so there are parts of, um, you know, Christianity or religion, be good to your neighbor, love yourself, that, are, that do feel to me uh, solid. You know what I mean? Like I can get behind some of that stuff. Uh, it's just that when yeah. you suddenly start diving into this, uh, you have to believe this, you have to join this, or give me your money, um, oh, these people are bad. Like once you're in that stuff, you're, you're on a path of like, uh, you know, untruth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. You use the word untruth. Yeah. Because um, I think about often, you know, some of the Psalms where like David's talking about like wanting to break the teeth of his enemies and like all of those things, which are problematic when you are trying to explain them away. Right. But again, you know, who hasn't felt that before, you know? And, um, yeah, I think about, uh, I don't know how far we want to go down this hole, but I always, I always have this sense now that I'm like, I wonder if Jesus would be kind of appalled that we were still talking about him because he never seemed to want to be the point of the conversation, you know, but, um, but yeah, it is, it's these parables, it's these ways of looking at things. And I think it takes, this is what, you know, Again, this is where I'm just so I'm really thankful that you had me read this book because I've respected Chuck because I know he's willing to go places other people aren't going to go. But I've been kind of afraid to go down that path, too. Right. And so getting to experience it and like I, I understand why his books would be banned. Right. I don't think they should be, but I understand why they would be so shocking to people. But at the same time, it's like, well, Jesus, uh, it's like the moment with Jesus where he's got all of these followers. And so he does this like crazy ass speech about drinking his blood and eating his flesh and like all this stuff that makes no sense. And it's to get everybody to just go away. Mm -hmm. And then that's the moment where he turns back to Paul or to Peter. And he's like, or basically, are you sticking around? And I think of this line all the time. He's like, well, you know, you have the words of eternal life. Where am I going to go? Right. And I think that with like certain people in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm right or die because nobody else has what you have. And um, I, th I think about that with somebody like Chuck being willing to go to these places with his writing that, frankly, I probably don't have the guts to go to. And but yet at the same time. There's people that read this book that probably feel for the first time like, oh, my God, somebody understands what I feel and what I've dealt with and what I think about. I love it. I love it. And I, I will treasure yeah. knowing that uh, you've you John Wick has affected you in such a way because it really is almost like um, like some people might view it as just like innocent entertainment or maybe even meaningless entertainment. Um, but yeah. I just think that that is what art can do. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
Yeah, you know, my son, uh, my oldest son is 17. And um, so over the last like year and a half, we've started going through and watching the Tarantino movies together. Mm. And um, so we decide to watch Django Unchained, which is like my top, my favorite Tarantino movie is always whichever one I've watched most recently, Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained. Got it. And so we're watching it. And it gets to the part where um, they go to the plantation. He's got like his big, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Jamie Foxx has his like blue out, crazy looking outfit on. And he's like going there trying to find those brothers. And he finds one of them and he starts like beating the shit out of him with a whip. And, but it is flashing back to when he had to watch them beat his wife. And so I'm sitting there with, you know, 16 years old at the time, and I just start bawling. And I didn't cry the first time I saw the movie, but I knew it was coming this time. You know, like you said, you know, when you watch it, and I'm like, he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, can you imagine, like, if you had to watch somebody, because we pause, I'm like, if you had to watch somebody beat your wife, and then you got a chance to beat them, what would you do? And he's like, I think I'd do the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, you know. And, uh, and I think it's the same thing about Tarantino movies that people think people like them just because of the violence. And I'm like, there's plenty of violent movies that you watch once and you never think about again. And then there's Tarantino movies, which people are still watching decades later. I love it. And I love that you can have that experience with your son where you can be honest about those human feelings and then maybe even uh, a good conversation about whether that character um, – whether that healed him, whether revenge uh, or uh, or retribution is something that is because uh, like one thing I learned working for Carrie Fisher, uh, you know, as a kid, this is why sometimes life feels like the Matrix. Because I remember as a kid being yeah. like, oh my god, if I could be famous, I'd be happy. If I could be a millionaire, mm-hmm. I'd be happy. Um, if I could be in some kind of epic uh, work of art like Star Wars, I'd be happy. And then I got a chance to work for her, and you see that, oh, in real life, those things don't mean you have some magic token to like happiness. So wealth isn't exactly the thing. Fame isn't the thing. Uh, she was in, there'll never be another Star Wars. It wasn't, like she didn't feel like this, it doesn't automatically give you some sense of completeness. Um, so that's another element of art that yeah. I just, and I think it's so cool that you can experience that and have those those conversations. Well, I think like you've got to experience this too, because you know um, when when you know I, w- I went back, I was like watching the trailers from the shows you've done, and I you know watched some of the acting you've done, and I was reading about some of the work you've done, and um, I, I often think of like you know each I think each art form has its pros and cons, right? And uh, and I think there's something about writing that one seems so futile. Like when I'm working on a book, it's like the odds of more than 100 people ever reading this. And it is so fucking hard. It takes so long to write, you know. And um, And something about this is the thing that I feel when I go to concerts is I'm like, I will never get to experience somebody enjoying my work. Like they can tell me but I don't ever get to see them do it. And, um, and I think about when you brought up Carrie Fisher, I think about that 
or like just you know i've worked with like uh semi-famous writers for a long time and you always kind of see behind the scenes and you're like i don't know it seems to get worse the more <laughs> the more famous you get like uh but yeah like what is it for you i this is interesting for me here is like what is it for you that like like why do you write like why do you work on the next the next the next book project like what is it for you because you know there's other ways to make money right and probably easier uh so what is it about writing that keeps you coming back i feel like that is such a complicated question to answer i mean on the money front um like you know i don't know if i'm going to sell another book i hope i do i'm working on a on a third and uh and I do think like, oh, well, what if I don't like what, a, you know, do I do I go back to do I get a job at, you know, Home Depot? Like, where, what am I going to do? Yeah. And that seems scary. And so in some ways it's like, oh, it's, it does seem less scary to to be able to create, uh, write a book. And, you know, so in that in that way, I do hope I get to keep doing it. And I think for me, it's like my dreams over time have changed. You know, I used to want to, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a famous actor. Um, then I wanted to be a news anchor. And, you know, you go through these, I went, I've gone through these cycles. Yeah. Of, and now I'm, I'm, I'm married and I'm really happy. And uh, my partner, yeah. uh, Stephen and I have these great dogs and we live in Palm Springs, California. And it's, you know, so life is kind of lovely. And so, um, really i guess like I, I just hope it keeps going and i am grateful yeah. i am most grateful in my writing for things that people respond to like your john whip moments uh or like the people who yeah. underlined those passages from the therapist uh, in a star's board um, i'm grateful to be able to share what i hope are little things in my life that have helped me want to keep living honestly so like mom revelations, moments of therapy, uh, those kind of things. So that's that's really where where I'm excited to sh to to share things. And the rest of it, um, the so-called fame and all that, it is kind of dumb. And it is it is like you say, like you you write a joke in a book and you 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 know it's not published for a couple of years and you never know if anyone's gonna laugh. You're not there when they laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, wrote, yeah. I wrote this play and. Um, and so we started doing this play and it's called Tilda Swinton answers an ad on Craigslist. And it's just like a modern day Mary Poppins. And it's a lot of the same themes that I write about like healing and a, Mary Poppins, the Tilda Swinton character is sort of a therapist for this depressed gay guy. And, um, and so the first, the first times we would do the play and people would laugh. Uh, first we were at the, at the lines that they're supposed to laugh at. So they laughed at the jokes and we would be like, Oh yeah, we're awesome. You know, like that's great. Uh, but after a few years, you do start to think like, uh, oh, they're going to laugh at that. Like, uh, they, the audience sort of becomes, um, God, kind of, um, the, the magic of being like, I'm here as some, and, and to offer you some enlightenment goes away, uh, because it's mm. just sort of a rote I mean, the terrible way to say it is like, oh, you're just a room of dummies. Uh, you hand them, you hand, you give them yeah. what they're here for. They respond exactly as you intend. And uh, it's, it sort of loses a, so writing new things does help to uh, reinvigorate that and, uh, and, and creates a, a new sort of 
desire to to um, to inspire and enlighten and amuse and all that stuff. So, God, I'm just feel like I'm rambling to you, Tim. But I, I hope at the, at the end of the day, I hope I can keep writing and I hope I can keep telling these stories because, like we talked about, like that to me, that is um, in our human DNA, the campfire thing. 